0: Hey, friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create.
1: These ideas come from Rebecca's best selling book, Rhythms of Renewal Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm.
0: Welcome back. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. We are well into May, aren't we, Gabe? I know. Kids are home. Pierce is home from college, which we are loving. I'm having under a a full nest. I'm cooking a lot. I'm just making food all the time, even if the kids are are or are not hungry well and just, the spring
1: represents a lot more work outside yes so it does. chickens to the
0: gardens like too. gardens
1: and weeds and landscaping <laughs> yeah. and grass I mean it's it's full on so yeah. we're, we're in that mode but it's fun too because it's warm
0: and we're and school is out pretty soon for a lot of people so I know I don't know how other parents are handling this but I feel like I'm racing to the finish line of like what are the things that I can squeeze into that school day I know. so that summer can have a little bit of a different rhythm which yeah. we really value and over we, here
1: we do, and I'd encourage all of you, Like the summer rhythm is a different rhythm. Like Obviously, it doesn't work the same if you do have smaller children that are in school. It just gives you new opportunities, a fresh look at the new year, a chance to take inventory, which Rebecca always has helped us think about, is how do we just take inventory of what's working, what's right, what's wrong, what's missing. So we'd encourage you to have those kinds of conversations. Um, Today, I'm excited because you're going to get to hear a conversation we had with esteemed counselor and author and expert dan allender as well as kathy Lurzel, who wrote a book called redeeming heartache and they're focused and in our conversation we're very focused on doing the heart work you know not not just the hard work which it is hard work but but really looking into the depths of like our heart our soul the pain coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. we're going to kind of get into those conversations about how does it help us become more healthy.
0: Yeah. And because this is May and it's Mental Health Month, we wanted to make sure that we had some of the top voices in this field talking about science and faith in the same conversation. Um, And so I love that Dan brings a biblically historic grounded view on healing and recovery from past trauma, um, but does it in a way that is very inviting, not shameful, not condemning and feels like you can actually get some headway here. You can take charge of your emotional health in ways that you might have been floundering before. So I hope you're encouraged in this conversation. So let's listen in now. Welcome to the podcast, Dan and Kathy. We're so glad to have you.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, so thank you for all your work. I mean, your credentials are enormous. The stories I know, Dan, I've, I've known your work for so many years and all the leaders that you've impacted by just taking time to care for them and their hearts and helping them with this connection between their hearts and their minds. And this is so many things. And you were, you were one of the first I know that that brought a faith conversation into this mental health space, helping helping leaders really understand how to get more in touch with how God had uniquely wired them. And today, I'm excited for our listeners to hear from you and Kathy both about the work that you've done in your most recent book, Redeeming Heartache, and the idea behind heartache. I mean, so many people feel it. We all experience loss, grief. I know I'm grieving the loss of my mother from... Three months ago, I'm grieving some pain from my childhood that just uh, erupted again for me recently, and sometimes those things can depress us or get us down, and and yet the way you guys talk about this is that there's a lot of hope when we encounter those feelings because there's something more that's meant to be done. Will you just kind of walk us into your world a little bit, and, and if we were sitting on the couch in front of you and trying to walk through some of this, what, what would be some of the first things you would offered us and how we think about this and get right perspective. Okay, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your mother. And
3: you know, as we've attempted to address in the book Redeeming Heartache, we are all living east of Eden. And none of us can escape the reality of of heartache, but we also know that's another word for the word trauma. And the scriptures talk about trauma in light of what it means to be an orphan and to know abandonment, what it means to be a stranger and to feel alien uh, and alone, and what it means to be a widow or widower, and that is to know something of the deep loss of love. And those realities give us a chance to actually step into what it's like to live east Mm -hmm. of Eden.
1: That's Helpful, and I think when we get that large perspective, it it moves us to, you know, consider the deeper story we're all living. Kathy, I know part of what you talk about, and this is something I personally struggle with, is coping mechanisms and how they can sometimes become our Mm -hmm. go-to crutch. And you know, it's almost very human for us to go to these mechanisms to distract ourselves. I've, I've noticed that in my own life. I mean, the last few months, I've Food has been one for me, and I'm eliminating a lot of that and trying to be a lot healthier. So, so then golf is like another one that I really love. So I'm playing golf, but but then I like hurt my back, so now I can't do that. And so then I'm all of a sudden just left with myself, and I'm like, wow, I've I've got a lot of work to do.
2: No, (laughs) right? Yeah, I think you know so much of what even what Dan was talking about our our hope in the book and and our hope in the work that we do at the Allender Center is to help people understand how their past trauma, how how their stories of where they understood that the world wasn't quite what it was designed to be based on Eden, what how the past is connected to how we relate mm-hmm. to the present. And so, so often, you know, we're, we, we recognize that we're in these holding patterns, we're um, we have kind of maladaptive behaviors that we wish were different in the present, but, but instead of, of looking at those things and saying, okay, so how do I fix that, um, we don't realize that we actually can't do a whole lot without going back to where those things originated. And so our relationship to our bodies, to food, um, to our parents, to the world around us, that all matters in terms of how we want to then heal in the present. And so the hope of of the work is is to give you a bit more of a map or handholds to go back and recognize why you are the way you are now and then how to heal that based on healing these past traumas and these places of heartache that are present in all of our lives.
0: Yeah, I think there's a reason people don't go back or they try to avoid that for you know, as long as they possibly can until at some point they're confronted with it in new relationships or new circumstances from places that weren't healed prior to those relationships. And sometimes that comes at tipping point for people. You know, maybe it's um, an acute situation later in life that triggers something earlier in life. So I think people at that point go, maybe counseling is a good idea or therapy or medication or whatever the thing is that they feel like they need to help regulate What's happening? Um, but how would you encourage someone who is just like no? There's nothing beneficial. It just all feels very scary to go revisit something um, that seems to maybe maybe it was with a loved one who has already passed and there wasn't resolve. Um, how would you encourage them to begin that process in a way that isn't so intimidating?
3: Well, we we've got to begin with the assumption that. Our heartache lives on, even from decades ago, in our body. And to the degree we attempt to escape, at one level, so legitimate. And yet, the byproduct will always be a kind of carrying yourself and your body in a way that, like, well, for example... If you've had soft tissue injury and you don't address it, what often happens is the body compensates by protecting that injury, but then the actual protection ends up becoming a new level of trauma that the body has to bear. So I think if we can begin with, to the degree you flee, you're actually intensifying the heartache and the body's struggle defensively, at least, with regard to the past. So I think if we own that there is a really righteous and kind inevitability that we have to go back in order to go forward, that begins to alleviate at least some of that, why should I do this? I don't want to hurt anymore. Anyone who's had PT knows uh, there will be pain, and yet one can enter it with far more kindness and generosity than perhaps what we have done in the past.
0: Yeah, I'd love to dig a little deeper into the how it plays out in our bodies um, i think it's just slowly emerging in the last few years in more you know mainstream conversations from even that best selling book the body keeps the score and like how how does that actually play out so so for years it's been like you've got your organs and you might have ailments but then you have over here you have your emotional life and your your traumas and those two have kind of been in two different Conversations—they've never been integrated as as a whole—and I'm I'm curious how you approach that when somebody is to say, "Well, what do you mean? It's showing up in my body. Are you are you giving like acute symptoms of the body, um, or are you still meaning like the brain is kind of offline or things are coming out physically? So, give me just examples of what you mean by that."
2: So for me, um, a, a lot of my war and and my journey has been around reintegrating my body and my thought life, right? Which is kind of an absurd thing when we actually think about it, given that our brain is actually part of our body. Um, but <laughs> there is this idea that they're separate, and and so for me, I really came online around this. I used to be the vice president of advancement for the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And which is where the Allender Center is based out of, and I was fundraising, you know, millions of dollars a year. And right around um, May thirtieth, I would always get an ulcer. Hmm. And I, I was like, gosh, you know, this what a bummer. Um, you know, I'm in my thirties. Like, why am I getting ulcers? And I I was just completely unaware of the degree of anxiety, the degree of stress, and how that was impacting my body. Because I had learned to overcome so much of uh, you know I could override my body's needs, the the need for rest, um, my my own internal signals that were saying like we're not well, you know yeah, things aren't right. going well. But I I learned how to override that because of my story and how I handled trauma. And so then, you know, I started to realize, like, gosh, every year around this time, which is 30 days before our end of fiscal year, so, you know, that was when everything was ramping up, um, I would get these ulcers. And, and that's like a, kind of a, a, a very obvious connection. But so often, are we don't necessarily make those connections between our anxiety, our stress, Um, you know, the places where we're carrying um, our trauma. I had a woman come up to me after a conference and she put her hand on my back and she goes, oh my goodness, you know, this is where you carry all of your stress. And I could feel it. As soon as she put her hand on my back, you know, I was tensed up, I could feel it, but I was so unaware of where my body was holding and registering the emotional distress or discomfort that I was in. And so, so much of the work that we're looking at is how do we start to reconnect those parts because they really can offer us a map and keep us connected to the fullness, the integration that we're actually meant for in this world. But often because we've learned to override our body's attempts to tell us the fuller story, we disconnect ourselves from those. Right.
1: Yeah, I think it always catches up, right? It, it's going to come out at some point, whether it's in your 30s or maybe your 40s or 50s, that it it does catch up. And I think people are becoming a little more aware of it, but it's also, it's complicated because you, you hear in this culture how much we need to push through and be strong and resilient. And we have this idea of that, that's to put aside these barriers, to put aside the harm and the hurts and to keep moving forward. And yet, it's doing the opposite to us. Um, what are some of the rhythms that you recommend people live into on a daily basis, a weekly basis that allows them not to just distract themselves with coping mechanisms, but actually sit with the pain, sit with and process through, is it journaling? I mean, what, what are some of those ways you would counsel people to start processing that pain?
3: Well, it's certainly, the truth will set you free. Uh, But as many good pundits have said, uh, it will make you miserable at first. And part of that is, can we enter into what an orphan feels, what they suffer? And most of us, because we think too concretely, we would say, I'm not an orphan. I'm not a stranger. I'm not a widow. Yet those categories open our eyes and our body to what is indeed happening. And for an orphan, uh, Kathy has spoken about this and written about it so brilliantly, so I'll turn it over to her. But there's something about the orphan that has to be engaged, both in terms of our past, but in terms of what our body is suffering in the present.
0: I would love to hear more about that, because we adopted a girl three years ago, Joy, from China— who was basically orphaned at four months and we got her at five and a half. So we're still on this journey of learning, you know, her and knowing all the night terrors and what are those connected to and just trying to unlock things, you know? And so I, I love your insights on that.
2: Oh gosh. Well, you know, the, the first thing that I would say is, you know, there's, there's the, the archetype of orphan and, and it's important for us to to look at um, you know, the larger universal themes, but there's also something very specific for those who have actually been physically orphaned. And I just want to make the distinction between those two, because it's easy for me to talk about the idea of the archetype of the orphan, knowing that I still have two alive physical parents who who haven't actually orphaned me. And and so there are degrees of trauma that I just I want to acknowledge for anyone who's listening, and even for your own story as you lean into what it means to parent your daughter. Um, that those are those are that's a different level of trauma than um potentially someone who's been emotionally orphaned or have different parts of them um, that have learned early on that no one is coming. Cause that's really the core of the heart of the orphan is they realize. Um, what I'm meant for, the love I'm meant for, isn't available to me. The care, the protection, the provision, it's its not there. And so I have to figure out how to take care of myself. And I can only need what I can offer my own heart or my own body. And, and so the orphan becomes self-protective. They've become hypervigilant. Um, and and in some sense, they, they never actually um, can lean into safety and love and protection and connection that happens naturally through relationships because they're always so suspicious of it because they've experienced the betrayal. They know that that's not a given. And so their safe posture is, is to say, you know, I, I'm not going to need it if it means being vulnerable to more exploitation or harm or disappointment. Um, and so the heart of an orphan is often just exhausted, and also um, has to be disconnected from their true need. And so when we're talking about body, when we're talking about different maladaptive behaviors that we have as adults, you know, you can trace that back to when did you learn that no one was coming, and that you had to override need or, or even like discomfort in your body because you knew that if you didn't keep going. Then no one was going to rescue you, or if you stopped, then that would mean trouble for the world that you were living in.
0: Hmm. When you say maladaptive behaviors, what's an example of that?
2: Sure. So, so when I talk about this, and this doesn't come from me, this um, comes from a clinician um, named David Schnarch. But he talks about when when you're young, you have adaptive behaviors that you create based off of the worlds that you live in. So, you know, for a, for a child who realizes. Um, gosh, my mom is just not available emotionally. And so you adapt to that mom as a child and you learn quickly, I can't have complex emotional needs because she isn't gonna be able to handle them or help me move through them. So you learn quickly not to to need connection around your deep emotional needs and you dive them down, right? So they go underneath the surface, you start to ignore them, or you figure out how to adapt so that you can survive and keep your relationship with your mom intact. Well, now as an adult, you now have instincts around, um, you know, so your husband comes up to you and says, you know, hey, honey, your birthday is coming up. Uh, You know, what do you need this year? Like, what do you want? Like, what's your heart's desire? And immediately you're shut down. And like, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm irritated that you're asking it. And now I just want to be by myself. And if we could just skip my birthday this year, that would be great. Yeah.
0: And what? so what you used for survival before now becomes almost punitive in present. That's right. You turn it on yourself because it's how you actually coped, but now it almost feels
2: like a fresh trauma or a different version of it. Absolutely. And it keeps you from the connection that you're actually created for.
3: So the orphan becomes a person who will not desire anything that they can't provide for themselves. And given that, there's a certain degree to which the orphan looks very functional Uh, looks very much like he or she is in control. And in that, there's such a deficit of desire, such a fear to want and to be, in some sense, faced with death again. And if we go back to that original question, how do we engage what we're not willing to name? Well, it's the naming that is so difficult. The actual tending, I'm not saying is easy, but once we've been able to name, there is an orphan heart and body within me, how do I begin to stand against and actually take risks that involve a level of vulnerability to, again, a new loss, a new potential to have loss again. That opens the door to that whole notion uh, that Jesus brings to us again and again. And that is, if you attempt to find your life, oh, it's such a hard sentence, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose by entering into that level of vulnerability, there is that promise of, and you will find it.
0: Yes. I love what you talk about given a name or name it, that confession essentially, and that risk attached to that vulnerability. Um, when you say that, can you give an example of what you mean? Is, is it meaning going like a memory is triggered and you name the memory? Or maybe you name like the deepest longing that you didn't even know you had. What, what do you mean by giving it a name?
3: Well, it's simply said, by being able to name, I, I feel strange in the world in a way that I don't seem to fit the world as other people do. You're opening the door to naming that you're a stranger that you know what it is to feel alien. Once you've owned at that reality, it's like moving layer by layer, and that brings stories. It brings m- memories of a-, a conversation you had at church last week, but that opens up another reality of what you feel often in your own marriage, which opens up another reality of even deeper, more, shall we say, layered but harmed moments in your life when you felt so different than the other people around you. So, in one sense, what we're saying is all stories— are connected and we need to let the Spirit bring us to story to story to story to have a better sense of our own inner world. But again, we'll come back to this very important phrase. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And so, how do we engage our own heartache and past with a new level of kindness rather than judgment or or dismissal or a refusal to actually enter the suffering that that young boy or girl felt then and you feel even to some degree today.
1: Oh, that's so good and I think um as you describe that, I mean I I'm just reminded of how our world today keeps us so distracted from taking the time to name things or to have the reflection um how are you finding success in the people that you counsel? And that you are talking with about these matters to find the time, to take the time. And and is this something that you practice? You know, it's like a retreat for a couple of days. Is it, you know, getting into a rhythm where you're thinking about these things consistently? Does everybody need a counselor in order to go through this kind of journey?
2: You know, I think I, yes to all of those things. But the the most important thing is to recognize that this isn't self-indulgence this is actually um, so serious to the health and the possibility of of beauty and goodness in the world. And if all of us took responsibility for our own healing, I can only imagine what the world would look like. And I'm not so naive as to think that, you know, we're going to all of a sudden have some sort of renaissance where we're all, you know, better people. Um, But I, I do believe that part of, for me, what it means to follow God is taking really seriously the idea that I have to mature and grow and figure out what it means to live a more integrated, full, and healthy life here on earth in order to bring more of God into the here and now and to be with people in a more healed way. And so if that's true, if that's our premise, you know, then the most radical thing, the most helpful thing we can do in this world is, is to enter into our own journey and know that that's going to be more important than almost anything else you can do in your life. It's going to impact your kids' lives, your spouse's life, who you work with, your ministry. Like, it, the the core element to all of that is how healthy and aware are you of your impact on the world and capable of bringing more health and healing as a more healed individual um, on the collective level and on the individual level. So I think if you start there, you can figure out what your journey looks like and, and where to start. And that can start you know, with the Allender Center, doing conferences or certificate programs that can start with podcasts, journaling, books, redeeming heartache. Like It doesn't really matter where you start. But you have to start with the idea that this is not just a self-indulgent sense of like finding yourself. This is your journey um and and really commandment and calling in this world is to embark in this so that you can do what we're created for, which is to bring more of God and more beauty to this earth.
1: Mm, that's good. I'm always searching personally for the way to do that um through through my own reflection and taking the time to, to work through it, but it feels like in the, and and maybe it's just my life, but it feels like there are so many distractions that are constantly pulling you away from that kind of deep work. I mean, I I look around and and I I see like sporting events, right? And being, I'm I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Like, why do I care so much about the NFL? Why do I care about watching a, a silly game on a Sunday afternoon, like what, what am I, is that a coping mechanism? And, and you start to, I start to look through that lens and start to see almost everything outside of like doing the deep work as like pulling me away from the deep work. Um, but am I, am I overreading that? Or do you think we're, we're in a s- society now that there is so much distraction. It's, it's like everything's competing for that attention. And we're, we're really having a hard time even bringing ourselves to focus on this kind of work.
3: Oh, I, I couldn't agree more, Gabe. Uh, the fact is, we are in a pandemic. And in that pandemic, we have been in a several year level of trauma that has shown itself with mass shootings with levels of racial trauma, with levels of polarization. It's crazy. I mean, it was before, but we know it's even more so. So, the fact that we need comfort is not to be denied, and we are given the privilege. Psalm 131 says, I know how to comfort myself like a weaned child, And, and if an NFL game brings you comfort, I'm all for it. I I think golf is probably the most severe madness to create frustration. But if it (laughs) brings you comfort, I I can I can say thank God for golf for you. But here's the core issue: when you know something is not well, can you turn from all the distractions and actually begin to say, uh, "I need healing." I need something of truth to open my heart to the matters of of a life lived today that has profound influence from what happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And if I'll do that alone, I'm not concerned about what brings you pleasure and comfort because I'll know that at core— You're eating two or three times a day. I mean, we all find time for food. We find time, at least to some degree, for rest. Do we actually find time to become the people, the person that we're meant to be? And I think that's the call. Do we really know joy? and pursuing the things of God that actually allow our own life and the lives of others around us to flourish. Nothing like flourishing brings more motivation to do this kind of work.
1: Mm. Well, Dan and Kathy, thank you so much for just your contribution here and helping us go a little deeper and and peel back a few more layers of what's going on in our hearts and our emotions, why they're so important to pay attention to and to name. And thank you for writing this book, Redeeming Heartache, uh, which I would commend to everybody listening who's struggling with some of the concepts we're talking about that will help you walk through that and help you understand how to embrace your calling and, and reconcile those past hearts and harms and and really fully be able to bring your integrated self into the world and the relationships that you're in. So thank you both for being with us.
3: Oh, so welcome. So good to be with you.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Well, I hope that you enjoy that conversation, that you've got some handles and some takeaways to practice, especially going into the summer. Uh, There's a little more margin, hopefully, in your life that you can create, uh, even if it's Flex Fridays or just a little bit of time away with your family. That this is a season to pause, to to retreat a little bit, to examine your heart, and just say, what are the things that God is wanting to illuminate for me, bring to the surface, so that more healing can happen. Um, we're very excited to also announce that we are kicking off our summer series, June seventh, our marriage and parenting series. We did this last year, and it is backed by popular demand. All new people on this one: Willie and Corey Robertson, Lisa Bevere,
1: Scott Sauls, Jenny Allen. It's going to be. Wonderful. Several weeks where we want to go a little more intensive here on marriage. We we know the summer not only gives us a new chance for rhythms, it gives us a chance to look at our relationships, to maybe take advantage of a little more free time, rest time, to have some deeper conversations. And we want to help you with that.
0: Yeah. And we also cover topics like how to launch your kids well, not just those early years, but those later years. um, um the adoption of social media, of course, technology devices, how to navigate that through tween years, teen years. We talk about choosing to stay put in the same cities with extended family. I think that's a really healthy conversation to consider because sometimes we get spread out all over the country and disconnection can sometimes follow. So just how to order your life, um, how to be, how to navigate out of really hard seasons where divorce was on the table and um, what were the like the lifelines that kept you going so we're going to just go there we're going to go there in a lot of different ways and so we hope that you'll join us that you'll follow along subscribe if you've been a listener for a long time please go ahead and leave a review that is wonderful for us it's just encouragement and helps us know like where you guys are at and how it's impacting you and been please feel free to share this with a friend and let them know that we are going to kick this off on june 7th so we'll see you soon